This person died in 2017, age 66. There was a scrappy defiance in his career choices. 66 in 2017. Dennis Hopper. He was probably way older than 66. Not Dennis Hopper, but I like that guess. He had a rough childhood with frequent beatings by his father. Oh, my God. A little bit of a discipline problem. Rodney Dangerfield. Not Rodney Dangerfield. Man, great guess. The presidential campaigns of Michelle Bachman and George W. Bush received cease and desist letters to deter them from playing this person's music at campaign events. Is Bruce Springsteen still alive? This is like a live or dead question. Bruce I don't know. Springsteen is definitely still alive, but not a bad guess, actually. He played the Super Bowl halftime show in 2008. Prince? It's not Prince. Can I you guess who it's not for a while? Not Prince. He melded California rock with deep Southern heritage to produce a long string of durable hits. See, I'm like covering my eyes right now. <laughs> I can't think of anyone. His songs were staples of rock radio for decades with hits like Refugee, Don't Come Around Here No More, Free Fallen, and Into the Great Wide Open. I have this dude's box set. Oh my God, is it Tom Petty? <laughs> Tom Petty. Today's dead celebrity is Tom Petty. Well, there aren't a lot of songwriters. I mean, there's Springsteen there's not, and you and yeah. Chrissy Hond that really care about the craft of writing a song. I think a lot of really mediocre songs tend to pass by these days. And that's a sort of an egotistical statement, but it's true. Because without a song, you don't have much. You know, there's a lot of good players, but there's not many songs. Welcome to Famous and Gravy. I'm Michael Osborne. My name is Amit Kapoor. And on this show, we go through a series of categories about multiple aspects of a famous person's life. We want to figure out the things in life that we would actually desire and ultimately answer a big question. Would I want that life? Today, Tom Petty died 2017, age 66. Category one, grading the first line of the obituary. Tom Petty, a singer, songwriter, and guitarist who melded California rock with deep, stubborn Southern heritage to produce a long string of durable hits, died on Monday in Los Angeles. Stubborn Southern heritage? Stubborn well, Southern heritage. Explain yourself, New York Times. It <laughs> stuck out to me as well. What the fuck does that mean? Stubborn what? Southern heritage. It was heritage. Southern rock with stubborn Southern heritage. He melded California rock with a deep, stubborn Southern heritage. Okay, let's go. There's a pride that exists in Southern culture, I think. And I think that that's what stubborn is meant to... That the heritage of the South is inherently stubborn. I it's guess. in its refusal to change. I think that's the implication, yeah. And I gotta say, certainly living in Texas and being from Texas, I understand that a little bit. I don't care for the term stubborn because it's derogatory. Yeah. It's a little insulting, but I know what the fuck they mean. Yeah, I know what they mean about pairing it with Southern heritage. I don't know about it in the Tom Petty sense. That he's stubbornly Southern? Yes. <laughs> I think they're just saying California rock with Southern heritage Parenthetical, the South is a stubborn place. <laughs> oh, and by the way, the yes. South, fuck you all people from the South as we throw stones from here in New York City. They're throwing a stone and they're like, please land on the other side of the Mason-Dixon. Yeah, and, and sure enough, it did with insult. Okay, so... I, I got to tell you, the other thing, durable. How durable you, was the other one I thought about. What was your reaction? Tell to me the phrase it belonged to. To produce a long string of durable hits. Yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree with it. I don't love it. Why is it not a compliment to you? It's a compliment. It's just not a uh, superlative compliment. It's not necessarily all that flattering. To say something has like long shelf life and is durable it makes it sound like Tupperware. Timeless would be a much higher compliment. Totally, right? I mean, durable almost seems like they've survived despite their quality or well, something like that. Yeah, to me, it just means it was built with sturdy legs, meaning it had the foundation under it of being pop and repetitive. Yeah. And so it lasted. Right. And I think it kind of undersells Tom Petty. But melded California with a Southern heritage, if you just took the stubborn out of it, there's something kind of that captures the Tom Petty persona. But then it's like he produces a long string of durable hits. 
The Beatles produced a long string of durable hits. Fucking who else? The Stones have produced a long string of durable hits. I don't think you would say that about either of those bands or about Mick Jagger or about Paul McCartney. They're just saying this formulaic hillbilly with long hair, somehow his songs are still being played. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so this one has some real knocks against it to me. It doesn't quite honor Tom Petty. To me, it almost intentionally dishonors him. Okay. Do you have your score? I do. So this is a bit of a detraction. I kind of like the underselling because I spent the better part of the week researching Tom Petty. Yeah. Not a lot of the story moved me inside. Not a lot of his life moved me that much. Yeah. So I'm okay with it. I, as this being the summary of Tom Petty, I don't like the subtleness of the jabs, but it would be my somewhat approximation or summary of Tom Petty because I'm not a rock and roll guy. I wouldn't make it so anti-NASCAR yeah. in this way, <laughs> but I'm siding with it. So I'm going to give it a seven. Wow. I've just lost all the Tom Petty fans out there. Yes, because I had a different reaction in preparing for this interview. And I, I don't know if I'll be able to win you over and move you more. I would love to be moved. We'll see what happens. I'm going to go six. I actually am going to give it a better than five because I do think that there are issues I have with it. I don't like the stubborn Southern heritage jab necessarily. And the term durable undersells his quality to me and his, dare I say, genius or something like that. You just looked at me with battle eyes (laughs) when you said, dare I say, genius. Well, we'll get to it. So there's actually some things I do like about it. You know, melding California rock with Southern heritage is like true. There is something very American and bi-coastal in a way about Tom Petty, as well as like middle American about him. So I'll go six. Okay. Yeah, that's my score. Category two, five things I love about you. Here, Amit and I work together to come up with five things we love about this person, five reasons we should be talking about him. If it is on me to move you, sir, then I'm going to lead us off. Please do. I think there's a case to be made that he's the greatest American rock star of all time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're fucking A right. The all right. greatest American rock star. So are you familiar with the Chuck Klosterman thought experiment of rock star that may be remembered in 200 years? Yeah, I've read the articles or whatever about yeah. it. Do you remember who he came up with? Billy Joel, I think. Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry. Okay. Yeah. I want to make the Tom Petty case. Present yourself before the judge, sir. Okay, so who are the other candidates? The ones I came up with are Elvis, Springsteen, Mm -hmm. Dylan, Hendrix, and maybe Chuck Berry. Okay. I mean, I'll go with that. The thing that really wins me over with Tom Petty, I don't like the term durable, but his longevity, the time span that he made great music. I mean, really starts in the late 70s and continues, I would say, all the way up into the 2000s and maybe even 20-teens, but at least until the late 90s. And a 20-year run of best-selling music and great music is actually a really long run. The Beatles had maybe seven or eight years. The Stones, they're still torn and all that, but their music stopped being good in the late 70s. It's really more like 15 years. Springsteen, though, his run was bigger than that. Yes, that's the person whose catalog I don't know as well because Springsteen is just not my guy. But there's also a album-to-album reinvention that I think is closer to the Beatles and the Stones than some of the other names mentioned here. I do think with each successive project, Tom Petty was trying to do something new. I think that there's a consistency of sound across the entire catalog, but I also do think that he was pushing himself in a way that the Beatles did too. The the Beatles are, you can't top it in terms of invention album to album and the way they push themselves musically, but I see that in Tom Petty's catalog. Your argument is good. There's no pioneering in it, Mm. even in your description. And there's not an originality to it. He sounds like so many other people. All Tom Petty did was take something that existed and played it really well. This is the argument that Kobe is the best basketball player of all time, Mm. and you're ignoring the Michael Jordans that actually did it originally. I think that's a fair fair counter-argument. He was just like the A student who never took an honors class. Oh, you had me with the analogy with Kobe. I don't know about the A student. I know what you mean. Didn't challenge it. He didn't challenge the— It just worked within the conventions that had been established. Yeah, that had been established— Yeah, I suppose there's some truth to that, Amit. I don't know that you have to be a pioneer to be the greatest, necessarily. 
I think that is the argument at hand here. Okay. And I don't think we're going to resolve it. What your your number one thing that you love is there is a valid argument to be made that he is the greatest single rock and roll artist of all time. It's a conversation worth having. I mean, are you aware of that Mark Marin joke about Tom Petty's? Like, he's like the only thing we can all agree on anymore. And that's sort of true. <laughs> you know, right, left, Tom Petty is like the great unifier. And so there is something transcendent about his greatness and his quality. So arguably greatest American rock star of all time. Anybody come to mind that has come about in the last 10 or 20 years? Jack White, maybe. No, too obscure. Taylor Swift. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I could see that. What about Tom Petty specifically? I mean, what was your connection to his music? I liked it. I probably own a few of the CDs, which are now, you know, MP3s. Yeah. But I never was curious enough to, like, learn the backstory. And I think I went to a concert or two. Never thought too much about what the lyrics meant. I don't think he did too much either. Yeah. So uh, he was durable to me. I, I see. I had a different relationship with him. The very first concert I ever went to was Motley Crue. The second concert I ever went to was ACDC, and both of them were chaperoned by my brother, who's five and a half years older. Tom Petty, in eighth grade, during the Into the Great Wide Open tour, was the first concert I ever went to unchaperoned, me and uh, two of my friends. And it was so great. I've had a soft spot for Tom Petty for forever. I love this man. Wow. I want to share that. I got to think of mine. So unchaperoned means no older brother. No older brother, no adult-like figure, nobody in charge. I was in charge so of I'm myself. So I'm strictly there with like my friends from my class. Correct. Okay. So first concert ever was Michael Jackson Bad Tour. Nice. My parents did take me to that. I believe it was 86. Then chaperoned, which would mean including my older brother who is two years older. I think that would be the Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him Tour in which Vanilla Ice opened. Oh, wow. For uh, MC Hammer? Yes. Vanilla Ice opened for MC Hammer? Yeah. It was huge. <laughs> That's a moment. Life-changing. <laughs> That's a moment. And then unchaperoned, that would probably have been like Lollapalooza 93 or 94. Okay. I want to say that's like a Beastie Boys headliner or a Chili Peppers headliner or something like that. Okay, so number two. Yeah. Big in Europe. So he was bigger in Europe before he made it in yeah. the States. I just love the comedy of it because it's the punchline of everything. I'm big in Europe. Yeah, the David Hasselhoff thing. He actually was. And for this style of music is why I find it so weird. In the 70s, you know, it wasn't even that much melded California rock. It was more of the roots Southern rock back yeah, then. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I just don't really get it. They love that shit in Germany. But the fact that his star rose in Europe before it rose in the U.S., I think is... Fascinating. What makes it desirable? I'm going to need you to help me with that. There is something very American about Tom Petty. And I do think that when somebody is representative of an entire nation, that's recognized more easily outside of that nation. He just seems so thoroughly American in so many ways. It had to be recognized elsewhere before like, we could accept it ourselves. Uh, yeah, I think there's something to that. It's just a different route to pop stardom. Most musicians start as alternative tastes. Very few, I think maybe until recently, set out to be a pop star. Right. And I think you think about Coldplay. Coldplay came out as alt music. It was only on the edgier stations, and now it's the definition of pop music. Yeah, Tom Petty's journey was just the same, except it was like the Danish are way into him, and that was his journey before he made it into like the American airwaves. That's pretty good. Yeah. Can I do number three? Absolutely. I had music videos, particularly the unintentional comedy, Free Fallen. Do you remember this? There's, you know, she's a good girl. There's like a teenage girl that they follow around. Yes. The video ends with her skateboarding on a half pipe, and she is doing absolutely nothing impressive on the skateboard. She's simply going up and down the half pipe. I mean, she's not doing an ollie. She's not flipping the board. Nothing. It is extremely lame skateboarding, and it cracks me up to watch it now. And then the video for Mary Jane's Last Dance, I had forgotten about this. Kim Basinger is in it, and she's a corpse. And Tom Petty plays a mortician who steals her corpse and takes her back to the, his house in a kind of Tim Burton macabre setting and dances with her corpse and then takes her and dumps in the ocean. Last dance with Mary Jane, one more time to kill the It's a weird video. But the best one, 
I think, is the end of the great wide open video, which features Johnny Depp. Do you remember this video at all? No, I don't. All right. Well, so the the story is this guy wants to be a rock and roller and he moves out to Hollywood and he gets a guitar. He makes a bunch of records. He makes a bunch of money. Fame kind of corrupts him. He ends up having a very ugly scene with his wife in a swimming pool. This is all in the video and it's fucking Johnny Depp, which that's happening right now. As of this recording, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation suit is playing out in real time. Just to go back and watch it, it's like, wow, that's celebrity corrupting. Like Johnny Depp made this video about it with Tom Petty in the 90s. And here we are in 2022. Wow, it was way ahead of the curve. So the Tom Petty videos. Good. I like that. Thank you. I thought you might. All right. What do you got? You brought me up a peg. (laughs) (laughs) Number four, I wrote Bad Interviewer. Yes. And I'm going to make a case for why that is something I love. Okay. Uh, To me, it speaks to the fact that he feels. Certainly there was artistry in his music, but he was inarticulate and quiet as fuck in his interviews. Just tell us a little bit about the band, like how it formed, etc. We wanted to do the same thing. Which was play an A chord. So we formed the band immediately. And, and the A chord sounded so good that we made the band, right? That's right. And he didn't say anything really that interesting. He was not a man with a wide range of words. However, he was an artist. He was an artist that made videos. He was an artist that wrote songs. He was an artist that performed very well. So what this is to me is this is a classic emoting artist, not one who speaks with his words directly out. He must express it in other ways. Why I like this is because that is the 100% opposite of me. Hmm. I only have the ability to speak. I have problems feeling things outward and expressing them. This is direct therapeutic analysis. And so I have a lot of admiration for somebody who expresses themselves through something other than words and may be poor at words, but excellent at something else. And I think in today's hypermedia and hyperdigital culture, that's less appreciated and harder to do because you must be able to do everything. You must be able to speak and do bits and clips. So the type of person that he was, it's really a classic artist who feels. I love that. I really, I think you put things into words that I would have struggled to put into words. Let's see. I've got number five. I've got a couple. I'm going to go with fit in everywhere, including with his heroes. I really do feel like you can plop Tom Petty down into any situation anywhere, and he's going to be fine. And to me, this is exemplified in the Traveling Wilburys, which is one of the most incredible supergroups of all time. Roy Orbison, Bob Dylan, George Harrison, Tom Petty, and Jeff Lynne was the one name I think is probably a little bit less recognizable in some of those. Who is he? Electric Light Orchestra, ELO. But he's also, and this I learned when I read the Tom Petty biography by Warren Zanes, which is excellent, by the way, really good. He's also a big behind-the-scenes producer, and he was the producer of Full Moon Fever, Tom Petty's first solo album without the heartbreakers. Okay, so let me challenge it. So fits in everywhere, you said. What about across racial or gender lines? Like you put him in a room with the Indigo Girls or with Run the Jewels. Uh, How's he going to do? I think he's going to do okay. I think he can hold his own. I think if you put him anywhere where there's great musical talent, he's going to slot in pretty comfortably. The scene that really leaps to mind is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction with Prince, where Prince all of a sudden goes off on a guitar solo. When you YouTube Tom Petty, that is like the first 30 of the first 50 results is that video. such a performance. And the way he stands back and lets Prince just take control... All right, so let's recap. So I said, arguably greatest American rock star. You said... Big in Europe. I said, music videos, particularly the unintentional comedy. You said... Classic artist who feels. Classic artist who feels. And I said, fits in anywhere, including with his heroes. And the Indigo Girls. And the Indigo Girls. Could, hypothetically. All right. Category three. 
Malkovich Malkovich. This category is named after the movie Being John Malkovich, in which people take a portal into John Malkovich's mind and they can have a front row seat to his experiences. The point of this category is to imagine what memories or experiences might be interesting. What do you got from Malkovich? So I'll tell you, but I think I have to go a little bit in the narration that leads up to it. It ultimately has to do with the traveling Woolberries. Tom Petty talks about these great moments of his life that were huge musical influences and knew that he had no choice but to be a rock and roll star. One of those was meeting Elvis in person at age 11, and the other is one of the most widely cited for anybody was the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1964. So my Malkovich moment is in 1988 when he is actually asked to join the Traveling Wilburys, and he is asked to join by George Harrison, his hero. Yes. So this is how it went down, and I love this story, is they were all <laughs> at Bob Dylan's house. Yeah. So George Harrison, Jeff Lynne, who we talked about, and Roy Orbison, yeah. and Dylan himself. And George Harrison's like, oh, fuck, I forgot my guitar. It's at Tom Petty's house. I'm going to go over to Tom Petty's house and get my guitar. And so he goes to Tom Petty's house, and I, I assume Tom Petty is watching Jeopardy or something. <laughs> and George Harrison shows up. Mind you, the same man who 24 years ago, he looked up at like bigger than a hero as like the the incarnation of the ever-present in the form of rock and roll. This person comes to his house and says, Tom, I left my guitar. Hey, you know what? Me and a couple of guys are playing over at Dylan's house. We're forming a supergroup band. I think you should jam with us today. And Petty goes over there, and they play, and they all clicked. So his hero arrives, and his hero says, hey, come on over and, and join the club. You yeah. belong with us, and I'm bringing you over there, so I'm vouching for you. I love this Malkovich moment. What do you think's going on inside his head? I think there is a surrealism. Even though he'd hung out with Harrison so many times, the fact that he's going over to Bob Dylan's house and there's a formation of this supergroup that he is playing in and at some point going to be asked to. But it's also the escort by this person that at one time in your life was almost mythical. The entire experience of him personally coming to his house because he left a possession, driving him back over there to one of the most well-known musicians of all time and playing with them as a peer. My memory of this from the biography, and this is where I thought you were going to take it, is that they're still talking out the idea. I think they all agreed to it, if I'm not mistaken, at Denny's. Oh. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Can you imagine those five guys just sitting around in like one of those Denny booths, the Grand Slam? <laughs> yes. What did Dylan order, you think? Oh, pancakes. I think Roy Orbison definitely went the moons over Miami. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go. Petty did the Grand Slam. He's he's a classic California rocker with Southern roots. <laughs> stubborn. And then, he had stubborn eggs. And do you think George Harrison just asked for like crumpets and tea? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, oh, toast. I'm imagining. To, oh, toast and tea. What are crumpets? Toast like cookies. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there was one other thing I wanted to say about this. Traveling Wilbury's supergroup to have Dylan and a Beatle was always fascinating to me. George Harrison really was the instigator of this idea. It did occur to me, like, this is a guy who came up with Lennon and McCartney. And probably, like, once that band dissolved, was like, it's going to be tough to top that. And this is his best shot at trying and to— And it was a terrible shot. Yeah, I think the music is mediocre at best. There's a I couple mean, of, like, listenable songs, but yeah, I don't love it. Yeah, you just can't necessarily mix good things together and expect a greater outcome. Yeah, no, this is—you brought up Kobe. I think this is the Los Angeles Lakers. There's a lot of NBA teams suffer from this problem of, let's just take all this talent and stick it on the same roster, and it doesn't work that way. What about chemistry and what about history? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it didn't work for Jif peanut butter. This is like a well-known case study. They tried to package peanut butter and jelly together, uh, yes. and it was a giant failure. Yes. They tried to put it all into one jar. That's the perfect analogy for these 80s supergroups. I'm glad you brought up Jif peanut butter. Thanks. I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich now, but not— as, as soon as we finish recording, young Michael. All right. My Malkovich moment. You mentioned his artistry at the top. Have you read the Steve Martin autobiography? Have we talked about this yeah, before? Yeah, you suggested it to me many times. I've never gotten all the way through it, but I have read a good bit of it. There is a 
line in the biography where he talks about getting beat by his father at one point as a child. This just rings in my ears because I listened to it on audiobook. He said, it is sometimes said that a troubled childhood leads to a life in the arts. I am here to tell you I qualify. That was how he ended that story of childhood trauma. Tom Petty ended a similar thing. His dad beat the shit out of him and his mother wasn't able to protect him. And it was an extremely contentious and hard upbringing. I think that did lead to his life in rock and roll and did lead to his life in the arts. And things get dark for Tom Petty, particularly in the late 90s. That's when his heroin addiction begins. Around then, he also starts going to therapy. And he tells his biographer, Warren Zanes, that he's going to therapy at that time. And this is around the time that the album Wildflowers comes out. And that song, Wildflowers, his therapist apparently asked him, who did you write that song for? And he's struggling about it. He doesn't have a great answer. And then his therapist says, I think you wrote that to yourself. And this is also, I should say, at the time that his marriage is falling apart, too. And he's going through a very nasty divorce. He said, I think you're right. But he didn't know that. He had to have a therapist pointed out to him. You belong among the wildflowers. You belong on a boat out at sea. Sail away, kill off the hours. You belong somewhere you feel free. I don't want to talk too much about experiences in therapy. My experience with talk therapy in particular is that, boy, this feels like a big waste of time until every now and then an insight is dropped that tells me something about me that just shines a big light on a part of my psyche. I didn't even realize this thing was beneath the surface. I think that's what happened to Tom Petty in that moment. This song, a successful song and a beautiful song, somebody pointed out to him, I think you wrote this to yourself. Holy shit. I want to be inside in that moment. Yeah. He realized that self-love was probably one of the most absent things. And he knew it, but was never admitting it to himself. Who knows where these songs come from, these durable hits? Part of like his psyche is trying to reach another part. It's like trying to reach across hemispheres I mean, that, in the brain or something. Exactly. So the artistry part of him, which goes right back to my five things number four, is that maybe he can articulate it. directly, but he can write songs about what he's feeling, and he may not even be able to say who it's directed at until uh, other people interpret it for him, and he can either say yes or no. That's my Malcoach moment. That's great. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Category four, love and marriage. How many marriages? Also, how many kids? And is there anything public about these relationships? So I'll go through this. Two marriages. The first one was to Jane. They were married in 1974, divorced in 1996. At what age? 24. And they were divorced when he was 46 years old. 
And there was two daughters with the first wife. Then second marriage was to Dana. They got married in 2001. They were married until his death. Tom was 51 when they got together. And there was a child from a previous marriage that Tom Petty adopted. The first marriage was not a happy one. It's very clear. They kind of got married on a whim. It was around the time that he was moving from Florida to L.A. to get the attention of record labels. And it sounds like as things went on, she had some pretty serious mental health issues. I think it's a hard life to have adjusted to, to be the wife of a rock and roll star. And Tom Petty's also very clear that he was not around for the lives of his children for large parts of it. Not totally MIA, but not involved. He was obsessed with his music and his career. It's a sad first marriage. There's no question about it. The second gal, Dana, shows up around the time that his heroin addiction is starting. There's a kind of cluster here where full moon fever, into the great wide open, and wildflowers, like they all come out in the space of, I don't know, five, six years or something. That's where his life really starts falling apart and he starts going to a real dark hole. He meets this gal, Dana, in that time period, hides his heroin addiction, which doesn't start until the 19. 19- Late 1996, I think, yeah. Yeah, hides it from her, and she is a glue in his life. She hangs around for some real dark moments and then is there when he comes out on the other side of it. The second marriage does sound like it's full of love and understanding, and he's at a place in life where he's maybe a little bit more equipped to be married. We haven't talked about children. So you talked about the— Two daughters. Two daughters of his own from the first marriage and adopted child from the second marriage. Correct. Dylan, I think, is the adopted— So what do we know? Relationship that he has with them? It sounds like as he's doing work on himself and he comes out on the other side of that in the early 2000s, that there's some effort to reconnect and to be a part of their lives. But I think that they are raised in the limelight with an absent father and with a mother who's poorly equipped to handle the pressures of fame and extraordinary wealth, which we'll get to in a second. Look, the guy came from a house where his dad beat the shit out of him, and he had a younger brother. What's funny is that they shared a room. Younger brother doesn't come up almost at all in the biography. I think that there's some distant relationships here. Tom Petty is, I think, a shy guy in a way. They even talk about how he would deal with a version of stage fright, which is hard to believe with somebody who's performing as much as he is. But there was a kind of like anxiousness that I think got instilled at a young, traumatic age that led to a life in the arts that affected all intimate relationships for his whole life. How do you do heroin knowing everything that we know about what it does to you and how near inescapable it is? Yeah. I don't know. Keith Richards? I suppose there are a few, but I I, guess if you can delude yourself that much and to to point to just a couple of the people. But he's hanging out in the same hotel room as Keith Richards. I do think that if you have the kind of commercial, financial, and artistic success that Tom Petty enjoyed, there's just so few people who you would compare your experiences to. Like, it's just easy to say, maybe I'm the exception. Maybe I'm also Keith Richards. And yeah, that, I mean, maybe heroin is good for me. That's the same as every peer influence, right? Yes. Like even people doing coke yes. at our age. They do it with people that are maybe older partners at their firm or, or whatnot, and they see that, oh my God, they've been doing this for so long, and they're still more or less fine. And then you convince yourself that you're the exception. All those ingredients make sense. And an industry that supports that. Exactly. Yeah. Should we move on? Yes. All right. Category five, net worth. What'd you find? Very close to 100 million. I saw a few figures that all hovered around 100 million. I saw 95 million. 95 seems like a good number. That's the year I graduated high school. Let's give Tom Petty 95 million. I'm good with it. I hardly know what there is to say about it. It seems right for the longevity, the string of hits, the... Endless touring. Yeah. It seems just about right. I think that's right. I also think that it wasn't the thing that was pushing him. There's the story about fighting the record companies in the early 80s where for a dollar CDs or tapes were selling for $8.98 and they wanted to make it $9.98. And he held the company hostage until they backed down. Because he said, They're, you're pricing listeners out. Yes. And he still stands by that. Yeah. He still says that the whole reason that piracy and everything took off so much was not the emergence of digital and the easiness of it. It was that the music industry priced everyone out. Yeah, and I I love that about him. 
I love the number. I think it feels about right. I think it's life-changing fuck-with-your-head money. I think it played a part in his struggles with substances later on. Yeah, I kind of wish he was more into the money. But what do you see Tom Petty doing with another $50 million, right? Like At a Tom Petty Foundation. Find one cause. Find the stop beating the shit out of your kids cause. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I think, that, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. We want to talk about this anymore, or should we move on? No, he had a lot of money. He was didn't appear to be motivated by it. I personally wish he was a little more motivated by it. It's a lot of money. Okay. Category six. Simpsons Saturday Night Live or Halls of Fame, including Arsenio Hall. This category is a measure of how famous a person is. We include both guest appearances on SNL or The Simpsons, as well as impersonations. So, I'll go through this quick. Simpsons, 2002, played himself. Lyrics are the hardest part of songwriting. But when you come up with something meaningful and heartfelt... Boring! Rock stars are supposed to be about drinking and getting drunk and boozing it up. You just want mindless, generic rock? Precisely! Uh. See that drunk girl speeding down the street? Yeah! She's worried about the state of public schools. Boo! All right, Saturday Night Live, eight times. Eight times he was the musical guest? Eight times he was the musical guest. First in 1979, the last was in 2010. He was also impersonated by David Spade, and there's a skit that features Andy Samberg. going to be a great day. I don't know if you've seen yes. this skit before. Tom Petty makes a brief cameo in that. So he's all over Saturday Night Live. I think he might even... Although I wasn't able to verify this, but I think he might be buddies with Orrin Michaels, or at least friendly with him. I could see that. Yeah, sort of makes some sense. And he does have the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That's right, Hollywood Walk of Fame. <laughs> I don't understand why Tom Petty has a Hollywood Walk of Fame. I don't either. I don't think I understand, I'm realizing, Hollywood Walk of Fame. Do you just have to be famous? I thought you had to be from Hollywood. I think it might have changed. Let's make it a point to learn more about what it takes. No to future self. Okay, so the man's very famous. Since we're talking about Simpsons, we just have to reiterate that he was a voice on King of the Hill for four seasons in a recurring role. That's right. Which is a really great spot for him. Why they call you lucky? True story. I was at Costco one day and all of a sudden the nature called. So I hightailed it into the john and there's some sensitive guy changing his little boy's diaper on one of them baby ironing boards. And don't you know I slipped on pee-pee and broke two vertebrae which had to be fused together? I'm in constant pain, but by God, I got me a $53,000 settlement. Category seven, over under. In this category, we look at the generalized life expectancy for the year they were born to see if they beat the house odds and as a measure of grace. I looked this up. A man born in 1950 in the U.S. is 73.5 years. Petty was 67. Yeah, I definitely thought he'd be under. Yeah. I remember when he died thinking, he's not old enough to die. Yeah. It felt premature. No yeah, question. and it was tragic. It was officially ruled an overdose of opioids. Yeah. That he was bas- trying to cure pains. Right. So he, we've been talking a lot that he suffered from a heroin addiction. He does kick heroin, but he starts having pretty serious hip problems, and it's affecting him on stage. And he does have a doctor prescribe fentanyl, and then I think that more or less restarts an opiate addiction. And it took some investigation So we didn't know this at the time of his death, but it does turn out that he OD'd, yes. And so I think, yeah, he was prescribed opiates, but there was nobody monitoring his intake of it and factoring in his previous struggles with heroin. Yeah, and it was he just took a lethal combination. Yeah. I want to talk about two things in this category. So one is he and the Heartbreakers backed up Johnny Cash on the Unchained album. To me, Johnny Cash set the template for what a musician does in the fourth quarter of their life, just totally reinvents themselves. And Tom Petty was right there at the beginning of Johnny Cash's fourth quarter run. So I was thinking at first, okay, 67, that's young. This is tragic. It broke my heart when Tom Petty died. But the fan in me was asking, was there more music? To be had. There had to have been. He was definitely not doing fourth quarter type of stuff. I think that there was more music to be had. I think that there was more great stuff. Yeah, it was a tragic death. All death is tragic. Certainly anything that is in the under category. But this is especially one. It wasn't like a demise. To the grace point, 
he aged pretty linearly. He definitely did. It's pretty steady as she goes aging. So was it graceful? I don't know. I guess we didn't get to find out. Yeah, there was more work to be done. Yeah. And I think like when we did the John Prine episode, it was sad and tragic, but not in the same way. And this was, you know, 2016, 2017. That's when we were losing lots of young ones, too. Correct. Like Prince, George Michael, yes. David Bowie, like, they were all around. There. I mean, that's the other thing that's weird about Petty. I make this case at the top that he's maybe the greatest rock star. A lot of rock stars died young. Yeah, high school dropout who is addicted to heroin. It doesn't sound like 67 is so bad. Yeah. All right. Let's pause for a word from our sponsor. Michael, I'm thinking of a book. Is it a biography? Uh, it is not. Uh, something in the humor section. No. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need more information. What are you thinking of? You don't read? Of course I read. I read all the time. I've got like three books on at but, least. So you have no guesses? About what you're reading? Yes. No, you know I what I'm thinking of. Oh. <laughs> what book you're thinking of? Great Gatsby. That's not a bad guess, but it's not correct. You try me. What do you mean? I got to think of a book and you need to try and guess what it is? Yeah. Okay, I've got a book. Uh, Catcher in the Rye. Motherfucker! How did you do that? Because I shop at Half Price Books regularly. <laughs> that was incredible. Uh, do you know what? Half Price Books is celebrating 50 years of buying and selling books, movies, and music. Half Price Books has 125 stores, and you can find out more at hpb.com. Was that really correct? <laughs> no. <laughs> but it was more fun to pretend like it was. Hey, Famous and Gravy listeners, I want to tell you about a show I think you'll enjoy, Play On Podcasts, epic audio adventures that reimagine Shakespeare's timeless tales, featuring original music composition and the voices of award-winning actors. Each episode explores plays from Macbeth to A Midsummer Night's Dream in a way that you can actually understand it and created specifically for the podcast form by some of America's most exciting playwrights, directors, and composers, and performed by stage and screen's best. Check out their current season of King Lear that stars Emmy winner Keith David and Severance star Tramel Tillman. Hear Shakespeare like you've never heard before. Subscribe to Play On Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to get to the more introspective questions. This is where we try and take a best guess at what we think it would have been like to have been this person. One programming note here. This man did write a song literally called You Don't Know How It Feels to Be Me. <laughs> you don't know how it feels to be me. First of these categories, man in the mirror. What did they think about their own reflection? What do you think? Didn't give a fuck. Yeah. It's kind of exactly where I'm at. Yes. Definitive yes. This is me. I'm not going to change it very much for the next 50 years. And then let's get yeah, on with that. Gotta other go things. to sound check. Yeah. yeah let's that's that's the feeling I got. I don't think there's much more to say. All right. Next category, outgoing message, like man in the mirror. We want to know how they felt about the sound of their own voice. Would they have recorded it on an answering machine or outgoing voicemail? I went yes, largely based on the Sirius show that he DJed for on Sirius XM radio. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The other thing that always struck me about Petty is how low his voice is compared to like... Low and soft. Well, and stoned. I liked that contrast to his singing voice, which does seem to go up a few octaves. Yeah, I would have gotten annoyed, though, calling Tom Petty and hearing the outgoing message. Yeah. Because I was, it would just be so slow, like, you reach Tom Petty <laughs> at 817-549. This is my answering machine. You probably don't remember this, but on the Full Moon Fever album, there's a moment where, this is like right in the transition between tapes and CDs, and he says, Hello, CD listeners. We've come to the point in this album where those listening on cassette or records will have to stand up or sit down and turn over the record or tape. In fairness to those listeners, we'll now take a few seconds before we begin side two. Thank you. Here's side two. That's fantastic. Isn't that great? That belongs in like the sound museum. You must know about this, like the sound museum thing. I don't know what the authority is, but there is an archive 
that capture sounds that may not exist in the future. So a very good example of that is like the Nokia ringtone. Yeah. Like it's so important culturally to a period of time, but will not be heard in the future. I do know this actually, yeah. And like the, the prompt to flip your tape over should yeah. be one of those. Yeah, pretty good. I, I don't think it'd be annoying. I like Tom Petty's speaking voice quite a bit. And then the import part, too self-important to record his own message? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think he's got an everyman quality and I think he'd be happy to do it. So we're both agreed, yes? Yeah. Okay. Next category, regrets, public or private. What we really want to know is what, if anything, kept this person awake at night? Obviously, on the public front, the heroin addiction. I don't hardly think we need to talk about it. There is definitely a excessively loyal streak with him, too. He has said, I stayed with my first wife too long. He also, one of the more colorful and I caustic characters in the biography is his drummer, Stan Lynch, who they eventually do kick out of the band in the mid-90s. He regretted how long that took as a decision to oust the drummer. Loyalty cuts both ways. I like loyal people, but there is such a thing as loyal to a fault. I think there is a kind of second family comparison with the Heartbreakers. And I think that there are some family dynamics on display, and it is in some ways dysfunctional. There's a lot of love and trust, but it is like these guys knowing who Tom Petty was teed him up to be a transcendent rock star and transcendent figure. But I also think that came with certain, I don't know, interpersonal dynamics that are a little bit hard to ever unpack. If Tom Petty is a very private, shy man— the first wall is around him himself, and the second wall is around the heartbreakers. So getting to the core of who this man is is not easy. And I think that in his music benefits from that. Whether he himself benefits from that, I don't know. Uh, I got one. Oh, okay. uh, Confederate flag. Did you hear about this? No. So he had an album, I think it was in 85, that I think the Confederate flag was present on the album. Is this Southern Accents? Yes. I was going to talk about this album too, so go ahead. Okay. He later admitted to regretting the use of it because he was not using it as the symbol of of, slavery. uh, Yeah, yeah, slavery, racism, all these things that people associate with the flag. The counter-argument that people make is say, no, it stands for independence, Southern rights, pride. And so he toted that line and said, this is what I'm using it to stand for, and people should know better that I'm not supporting racism by any means. But he did change his tune on that. And he basically just said, if the public perceives it this way, then that's reason enough not to use it. And a statement he said is, I'll read it. He said that Southern pride gets transferred from generation to generation. I'm sure that a lot of people applaud it, don't mean it in a racial way. But again, I have to give them, as I do myself, a stupid mark. If you think a bit longer, there's bad communication to this. They might have it at a football game or whatever, but they also have it at Klan rallies. If that's part of it in any way, it doesn't belong in any way representing the United States of America. Turns out his Southern heritage wasn't as stubborn as the New York Times might have led us to believe. Very well put. My other public regret was also about that album. He says to his biographer, every time I listen to that album, I can taste cocaine at the back of my throat. They put some dumb songs on that album. But there's also some exceptional songs on that album. It really could have been a Sgt. Pepper's. It, it, it like had all the makings for a concept album, but some poor decisions were made in the later stages of production. Okay. Private regrets, I didn't have much. More collaborations with Stevie Nicks, maybe? That was about all I came up with. Yeah, I couldn't really come up with any. Again, hard man to know. Next category, good dreams, bad dreams. This is not about personal perception, but rather does this person have a haunted look in the eye, something that suggests inner turmoil, inner demons, unresolved trauma. The tough thing is he always looks stoned. The man has the most stoned-looking eyes in the history of the 20th century. Yeah. I'm a little bit envious of those kinds of eyes. I wish I sometimes I wish I could just look at somebody stoned, like stoned faced. I don't actually have to be high, but I wish I could hold. No, it's like they're basset hound eyes, though. All right. I wavered on this. I went back and forth. I definitely see both, and we've talked about some of the childhood trauma that's clearly there. 
I actually decided ultimately to go Good Dreams. This is a hard case to make, but there's something about his music that cheers me up. There's something that's like acknowledges pain and then twists it and uplifts. It's not a strong case, but that's where I landed. Yeah, I went bad. I saw something in the eye. Yeah. I saw a little something. I think it's there. That leads me to believe bad. In the late 80s, when he was a superstar, his house got burned down by an arsonist while he and his family were in it. That's right. And the perpetrator was never caught. That's right. So literally sitting in his home as it becomes inflamed intentionally. And then heroin. Coming down from heroin and doing that so many times, the combination of those will destroy your subconscious. Creativity is the ultimate act of self-love. And I think he lives a creative life. And most of his life is that. Yeah, I would like to think after that therapy session, every dream is him just dancing in the wildflowers. Probably not. I hope I get that dream tonight. That'd be a nice one. All right. Second to last category, cocktail, coffee, or cannabis. It may be a question of what kind of drug sounds like the most fun to partake with this person, or maybe a particular drug would allow some kind of access that we are most curious about. What do you got? Yeah, roll another joint. I want the last dance with Mary Jane. Sort of a Peter Fonda answer, yeah. Sometimes you have to go with the obvious. I can say, though, what I said before is he's not a great talker, and granted, I've only seen him in front of the camera. I did not have the perspective that his band members had or Stevie Nicks had or George Harrison had. But I just don't see him as being a fantastic conversationalist based on that alone. But I do see the artistry, the hidden artistry in him that can only come out through expression. And if cannabis can get into that, that's how we're going to hang out. I would love to sit with him on a picnic table, smoke that joint, and see what he points out to me. I want coffee. I actually was all with you on the cannabis, and that was basically where I wanted to go. I'd love to just smoke a joint and play music with him. But I ended up going coffee, and here's why. I love this story. So his biographer, Warren Zanes, the biography is maybe the best dead celebrity biography I've read to this point in Famous and Gravy history. Oh, wow. It is exceptional. Bear with me while I set this up a little bit. I'm just going to read this. Tom told Zanes this story about he and his wife, Dana, second wife, were on a road trip north of Malibu. They stopped at some diner. The coffee was excellent. And Tom said, can I see how you make this? The manager, possibly surprised that a rock and roll legend wanted information about the diner's coffee, gave him the secret, which probably wasn't a secret at all, Maxwell House. When Petty heard the words Maxwell House, he didn't turn back. He wasn't going to deny the truth of his experience. In his view, it was a great cup of coffee. He didn't bow to any hipster sensibility that went against his own tastes. His response? Can I see how you make it? The manager took Petty into the kitchen where a bun automatic coffee maker was doing its thing. So, not long after the diner visit, that's what Petty installed at his home. Two of them, in fact. He didn't want to find himself waiting for a cup of coffee. That's fantastic. The article goes on. It's even better. He really makes this sort of Maxwell House metaphor for what Tom Petty is and what he's all about. That for all the evolutions of culture and, I I don't know, trends and such, like Tom Petty is a Maxwell House guy. I love that. Petty was proud of his coffee. Proud of fucking Maxwell House, (laughs) you know? I don't need, like, the fancy espresso. I want something standard that I can keep drinking all morning long. Something that you could just call a cup of coffee. Exactly. Why make things complicated? My favorite beer is Miller Lite. That's what I keep at home. That's very often what I will drink when I go out. Occasionally, I will stray and complicate things, or I will start off and complicate things and stray back to it. Yeah. But my default setting is uncomplicated. So I think that this is on point with Tom Petty's life. And I think that this is not a bad segue into the Vanderbeek. Named after James Vanderbeek, who famously said in Varsity Blues, I don't want your life. I want to talk about what's complicated and what's not, and the virtue of simplicity. I'm not sure we've talked about it enough as we've talked about Tom Petty's music, his life, and his struggles. That I think that sometimes we get caught up in this hunger for, I want more, I'm not satisfied, I need more experience, I need more... Newness. Yeah. And in doing so, we make the world really complicated. I feel like Tom Petty's most virtuous quality is his simplicity, and I do think, on some level, he 
discovered and rediscovered that both in his music and to some extent in his life. And while I see a loss of privacy with next level fame and fuck you levels of money with 95 million and a troubled first marriage and estrangement from the children, I also do see artistic catharsis in his life. And I think I'm just going to come out and say it. I think I'm a yes on the Vanderbeek comment. And this is a deviation from where I usually go with this, because in saying that, I am vaulting artistic catharsis above so much other things that are not working. Troubled childhood, troubled interpersonal relationships, haunted look in the eye, probably bad dreams, hard to know, and all these other marks that I don't want and that I very clearly don't want. Maybe it's just this point in the Famous and Gravy journey that the importance of living a creative life, however you define that, has really like moved up the scale for me in terms of priority and importance. And I love creativity coupled with simplicity. Tom Petty completely embodies that. So I jumped the gun there. Usually I make you go first, but I had a feeling you were trending towards a no. So I want to put my cards on the table first and say, I think I'm a yes on the Vanderbeek. Okay. What about you? So in the John Prine episode, you accuse us of conflating adoration with our Vanderbeek answers. Correct. Fandom and desirability being two different things. Yes, they are different things. And I made the case in that I think I am properly distinguishing them. Here, I told you at the beginning that I just, like, Tom Petty is nothing to me. And even after researching and watching all these videos and interviews, he's still kind of that. So I am low on the fan totem pole of Tom Petty other than just liking the songs. Yeah. However, I don't like his life, but I think I want it. There is a beauty to setting out to doing something, achieving it, doing it your entire life without really deviating so much from it, getting everything you can from the self-worth of the artistry that you continue to do repeatedly, durably. And some people at some desk, some point, may make the argument that you are the greatest rock and roll artist of all time because of exactly that. I think that is very desirable. I don't have an iota of that in me, but I think it's very desirable to have it, and I would love to have that composition. I was over at a friend's house last night, and we were talking about another friend of ours who is an accountant. He has been an accountant since we were in college. He's a very good accountant. He's got a family. He's one of the happiest people we know. He's excellent at what he does, but he's never had a question about what his job is, and he continues to do it, and he continues to do it greatly, and he likes that he serves people doing it. He is one of my friends whose lives I want most Hmm. because of that, because of the consistency, but also wanting the consistency, that the consistency builds up your self-worth. I think that's great. And as much as I advocate for the pivot, as much as I like the Shirley Temple second half of the story, I also think that there is something to be said for the simplicity and the consistency. And this goes back to, like, really the Maxwell House Miller Lite thing I was talking about, that they can coexist. Both versions of those lives are desirable. And that to me, that's kind of reassuring, knowing that there is no singular path that you must follow for fulfillment. Yeah. I could be very satisfied with a pivoting path that has deep meaning, and I could be very satisfied with a straight, consistent path with so much self-worth built up in a certain artistry. I'm a yes. I want your life, Tom Petty. I love that. So I think you need to present yourself to the pearly gates. I am the Unitarian St. Peter. You are Tom Petty. You have just died. Make your case for the afterlife. St. Peter, I'm going to keep this pretty simple. I was a rock and roll star. And what is rock and roll all about? Questioning the rules of society, rebelling, and charting your own path. 
it's important music because it celebrates freedom above all else. And despite the fact that I came to have an extraordinarily unique life, I always worked to humble myself to its bare bones simplicity and provide a platform of expression for that journey that we're all on. I did that in my life. I did that in my art. And I think I left the world a better place for it. So for that, let me in. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. It really does help new listeners to find the show. We would love to see you on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Famous and Gravy. We've got lots of fun stuff there on our Twitter feed. Also, please sign up for our newsletter on our website, famousandgravy.com. Famous and Gravy was created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne. This episode was produced by Jacob Weiss. Original theme music by Kevin Strang. And thanks also to our sponsor, Half Price Books. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.